Welcome to Weekly Parsha Insights. Noyach was a big tzaddik From his kepala till his fisala Noyach was a big tzaddik This week I want to discuss is Noyach was a big tzaddik or was he? That's the question. And before we begin I want to give a few introductions. Um, introduction is in order to just establish what the type of shir is. Um, so <clears throat> essentially... What I'd like to try and do is to bring the parasha to life, to bring Torah to life. Torah is Miloshon Hoira, which means it's there to give direction. So that means that when we learn the parishes of the Torah, the ideal is to be able to draw life lessons and relevance from the Torah. Just sometimes it's a bit hard to do so because you're talking about stories that happened many, many year, uh, thousands of years ago. And the, the, the nature of the stories are such that they need a little bit more breaking down in order to... Um, draw something from them, but that's my intention, to try and make them relevant, to try and see what we can draw ourselves from it. If anyone uh, 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 um, during the time wants to um, address, uh, ask me questions, wants to feedback, wants to critique, whatever, I'm more than happy to receive anything you want. Um, Another point I want to mention is that um, when it comes to the stories of the parishes within Sefer Boratius, then it can be quite a... uh, um, it can be quite tension-filled, striking the right balance. Because on the one hand, you want to make sure that we have absolute total respect for the characters that are written in the Torah, our, 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 you know, Avraham Yaakov and all the, the great, great men and women that are written in the Torah. At the same time, the Torah does tell us stories which are kind of negative around them. Take the brothers of Yosef as an example, right? They're, they're hating him. How do we read the Psukim when it says they're hating their brothers? So there are those that take the view when we learn these parishes in the Torah to learn it all very much we don't understand and it's all very, you know, what we call in Jewish dake dakos. It's very fine lines that they're busy being crossing over here. And of course, we're never going to understand any of it. And if we take that approach, my fear is that we don't end up feeling that the parishes are relevant at all. It's all uh, hunky-dory for them and we're never going to understand it anyway. So it's almost like, why, why do we even bother? So I prefer to take the view of, of Rav, um, Rav Hirsch, which I'm going to read to you one or two sentences from what he writes elsewhere in Boratius. And obviously he wrote it in German, so this is an English translation. But just to give you insight into how we can approach. The, the, the Rav Hirsch writes as follows. The Torah never presents our great men as being perfect. The Torah never hides from us the faults, errors and weaknesses of our great men. If they stood before us as the purest models of perfection, we should attribute them well, we would attribute them as having a different nature, which has been denied to us. It may never be our task to whitewash the spiritual and moral heroes of our past, our peers, apologies for them. Essentially what he's saying is, as I just said, if we could come, if we approach the Torah, not willing to take things face value, up obviously, not willing to take things face value and to learn something from them, we can miss great relevance that the Torah has to offer. And that's going to be, obviously with humility and respect, that's going to be the approach uh, going forward with Hashem. The final introduction before we get going with Noach is, as you know, I've written this booklet of honor story. If you want to take away Dvar Torah and story for your family table, then this, what I've written there, is very concise and very appropriate for that. What I'd like to do in the Shia is expand a bit more on the topic. So that, that would be ideal to get that free PDF by email if you so desire. Okay, fine. That's introductions out of the way. Let's get going. Parshas Noach. As I said, we're going to discuss the Tzidkas of Noach. Okay, let's break this down, go very slowly from the start. 
let's see what we get to. So the, the beginning of the parasha begins, as everybody knows, Eila told us, Noach ish tzadik tomim Noach was an ish tzadik. Okay, you can't have it more plainly than that. He was a man, a righteous man. Tomim is translated here as being perfect, although I don't like the word perfect, because no one is perfect if they're human. Elsewhere, Tomim is translated as wholesome. I much prefer that translation. So Noach was a tzaddik. Noach was wholesome. We're off to a good start here. Great. What do we use the word tzaddik? When we talk about tzaddik, right, we refer, tzaddik is translated as righteous, right? Righteous, to me, means someone, it's a description of a pious man. Someone who's almost completely perfect. He, he lived at a time of incredible immorality and theft, okay? In his generation, it was terrible. And Noach stood out as the spiritual beacon of light, the great big tzaddik, right? That's what it seems. The problem is, once you carry on the psukim and the mephorashim, it gets a little bit messier. So as an example, in this very pasuk, Buddha Rosa, Rashi famously quotes the machloik, is the, the argument we have, Yeshmi Rabbi Seinu, we have a disagreement. Some people learn the word Buddha Rosa, which means in his generation. Some people learn it to the credit of Noach. That if Noach would have been around in a different generation, notably of Aram's generation, he would be even greater. But then there are Yesh Dojlim Neganai, there are those that say, no, it goes actually to Noach's, uh, it's a negative expression uh, uh, regarding Noach's greatness, which is that had he been around at the time of Avram, Loi Hoya Nechshav Liklum, he would not have been considered anything. Now you have to realize what this means. We're talking about someone who's described in the Torah as a tzaddik, okay? As far as I can tell, is the only person in the entire Torah, in the entire Torah that we have, the Chavish Chushet Torah, that's described with this word in the Posuk as Tzaddik. So he's a pretty decent, cool guy. He's a spiritually uplifted man. And he's a guy who's around at the time of Avram Avinu, which is ten generations later. Not he'll be second in command to Avram Avinu. Not he'll be outshone by Avram Avinu, but everybody else will still be ahead of. He would not be considered anything. He'll be a nobody. It's a shocking statement. Right? Obviously, it's, it's subject to dispute, but it's a, it's a shocking statement in and of itself. Okay? Fine. Next one. Next passage. Noach went with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rashi says, from Chazal, Noach needed a sad letomchoi. He needed Hashem basically to be a walking stick so he doesn't fall down. And different Mepharshim speaking this out in different ways, but everybody concludes, Noach on his own would have fallen down. So he needed Hashem to help him along. But again, we're not talking about some guy who's recently become from and needs a bit of help along the way. We're talking about a guy who's described in the Torah as a tzaddik. Spiritually, all the way up there, he needs Hashem as a walking stick. It's, it's, it's astonishing. And then the next one. When Noach is holding by the teva, he's about to get in. It's starting to rain. Right? So Noach goes in. The Apostle says, He goes in because of the waters of the Mabel. Says Rashi, Noach was of those who people who lacked emunah. Ma'amin, there ain't no ma'amin. He kind of believed, but he also didn't believe. And therefore, he wasn't sure until the last second that there would actually be waters of the Mabel, even though Hashem had told him and had prepared him and he'd worked 120 years on this Teva thing, right? He still wasn't sure whether Hashem really meant it. It's astonishing. He's a tzaddik. Tzaddik is an unquestionable spiritual heights, surely. It gets worse before it gets better. There's a passage at the end, at the end of the parasha. So we're talking now post Mabel, post flood, that everything's been destroyed. Nerf comes out of the Teva, bleary eyed, comes out of the world, the place is an absolute mess. He plants a vineyard and he basically gets drunk on the wine that he makes from the vineyard. And we know that, that part of the story I'm not getting into, but there was consequences for his children, how they found him, etc. But the way that's introduced is Vayochel Noyach Ishadom. The word Vayochel is translated by the art scroll as debased. Noyach debased himself as a man of the ground. 
What is it? What, why is he debasing himself? All the Midrashim say all different types of, um, in all different, very various different ways. Essentially, Medrash Rabbah says Nischalel v'Nasechulin Noach became uh, a plane. He 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 was on a level of spiritual uh, integrity, and he just became ordinary. With this act of walking out the Teva into a world of destruction, first thing he did was plant a vineyard. He became Chulin, and the Medrash continues, and this is what I quote in my Madratory this week, Omar Brachia, that Noach, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, was more beloved than Noach. And the Medrash says very cryptically, Moshe Rabbeinu, sorry, Noach began being described in the Torah, beginning of the parasha, as Ish Tzadik. He ends up being described as Ish Ha'adoma, which basically, as I say, is a secular, uh, it's sort of a very plain term. Moshe, the Medrash brings, <clears throat> was actually described as an Ish Mitzri, and then later, he became Isha Elohim. The Medrash goes into that and explains how Moshe grew in greatness um, in a specific way. But quite clearly, what the Medrash is pointing out is Noach seemed to have had a dip over here. Again, Noach, the great big tzaddik, has now just become seemingly Isha Adama. And as I say, there's various Medrashim, various different expressions in the Medrash which allude to the same point. Noach tzaddik, Noach Isha Adama. Just to make... Just to twist it around the other way, though, in case one is left with the thought that, okay, so it looks like Noach had a bit of a Ureda. Noach started the beginning of the parasha as a tzaddik. He's now ended up as a Shadoma, and that's where the story stops. It doesn't. Because the same Medjashtan Chumma also says, and, and this, this is brought by Mepharshim Das Kenim, that Noach actually left, uh, Noach only died when he'd returned everybody back to civilization. He had 70, uh, uh, 70 different generations, 70, 70 different families, and he had, he had a lot going on. And, 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 and that was said to his credit, and the Medjashtan Mashma, at this point, we're still calling him Tzaddik. That's why he's called a Tzaddik, because he, still, he ended off his sort of his life having brought people back to civilization. So it's all very, very confusing here. We're starting here with the Pasuk describing him as a Tzaddik, as someone Tomim, someone seemingly beyond reproach. We then bring all sorts of different Rashi, Be'ikah, but Rashi's coming from Chazal, where it looks a little bit more wobbly than that. He doesn't look like a wholesome Tzaddik to us anymore. And then he ends up being a Tzaddik. What's going on over here? So, I think we make a mistake when it comes to translating the word tzaddik, or at least in the meaning of the word tzaddik. As I said, we look at the word, we use the word colloquially, we use the word tzaddik to describe someone of an exceptional righteous stature. You know, Khan Kriyevsky was a tzaddik, you know, certain rebbers, and gedolim, tzaddikim, tzaddik connotes this great big spiritual um, level way and above everyone else. The truth is that the Gemara Navadizara Davov um, I forgot to say before, by the way, if anyone wants any, uh, a source sheet of what we're quoting here, I'm more than happy, just send me an email, I'm more than happy to provide a source sheet, so you have it all clear. But the Gemara Vodizara Davov says, when it talks this Pasuk, Noach was a Tzaddik, the Gemara sort of um, qualifies, it says, Tzaddik Bemasov. He was a righteous man in his actions. And Rashi explains, what did being a righteous man in his actions in Noach's time mean? It means he lived beloy chomos, without robbery. Now, it doesn't sound like a great spiritual achievement, but actually, if you think about it, in the generation that he lived, where the entire place was so corrupt, immoral, to the point that the animals were even immoral because the people were, you're talking about a level of corruption, a level of, you know, for one man to not do that was to his credit. But equally it kind of puts in perspective when we're calling him, excuse me, calling him a tzaddik, 
We don't mean to paint this picture of someone who on every level, on every count, and in every direction, was spiritually perfect and higher, and lived on a higher spiritual plane to everybody else. That is not what's being said. He is to be admired. Absolutely. Give credit where credit is due. No question. To live spiritually pure in that situation gets credit. Tzaddik, b'maysav, b'lechamos, 10 out of 10. But that doesn't mean he ticked every single box. In fact, the Klayaka also says, you know what his sitkas was? He didn't steal from everybody. Like, wow. But it was wow. In that, in that time, it was wow. To be a tzaddik means to differentiate oneself from what people are doing around him when they're being isaac, when they're being busy with an avera or a taiva, or they're being pulled in one direction, and you say, no, I'm sticking to the spiritually pure direction, I'm not going there. And that, that's exactly how the Altos Labotka explains it as well. In Sefer Madrigas Adam, he explains that Noyach clearly was in a situation where on the one hand, he had enough strength and courage within himself to plow ahead differently to the rest of his generation, but he clearly hadn't yet reached a level of spiritual purity which would have meant he could achieve that on his own. And that's why he needed Hashem as a walking stick, so to speak, to prop him up. Okay? Sounds good. But the Meshachachma, he tightens the screw a little bit here. And he gets into the psychology of where Noach almost missed an opportunity for greatness. So we appreciate Noach was great. What we're saying is he wasn't great on all, all accounts, which is fair enough. But he's credited for where he's, where he's great, but he missed an opportunity. And the Meshachachma explains like this. That in truth, when it comes to serving Hashem, there are two approaches that a person can take in life. One, says the Meshachachma, and he, he says, it seems to be that this would be an ideal, okay, if it would be relevant, it's an ideal, is for someone, he just takes himself away from the rest of the world, he lives himself to himself in his own room with his farim, and he literally serves Hashem from him to Hashem, and that's it. He doesn't have anything to do with the world. And you want to think about Gedolim from, from, from more recent history, I mean, the Vulnagan clearly lived like that, he had one point, I don't know how long for, but at one point he had a hole in the, in the wall where he would have his food brought to him. And, and like a little window flap, whatever, and shut, and that was it. He was literally shut off. There's a famous story where the Dublin Maggid came to visit the Gon, and the Gon asked him for some Musa, you know, with permission. The, the Maggid basically said to him, you're, you're out there, by, you're stuck out there by yourself. You know, come out and do something for the world, you know. It was, it's definitely an unusual behavior, but the Gon, well, the Gon. You know, more recently, Chazanish. Chazanish, for most of his life, I mean, his learning, definitely learned by himself. But even in his own conduct, he never took a position of leadership, never wanted a position of leadership. Um, clearly, Rukhan Kanievsky also, I mean, he learned with Chavrusas, but he mamish kept himself to himself. He never took a position of authority, of leadership of any sort. There's definitely a root in Avodah Hashem of greatness where people keep themselves to themselves, no question. But then the, the Meshachach says, there's another way. And the way he describes it is, Yashmi Sha'isik B'Tzaruch there's a level of living life for the sake of the public, for the benefit of other people, where a person completely and totally gives of himself to everybody else. And that's a different route in Avodah Hashem. If you weigh the two up, says Meshach Chochma, the one that points a person in the direction of where they are going to keep themselves to themselves, that would seem to be ideal. Um, just as an example, it came to me that the Ponovich Arov, um, famously set up Yeshiva's Ponovich, he came after the war, he'd lost his entire family, he'd lost his community, he'd lost everything, his Yeshiva, the whole lot. And he, everybody knows the famous story, he stood on the hill in, in, in Bnei Brak, and he said, here's going to be my Yeshiva, and everyone laughed at him. In fact, 
I heard from a quite a reliable source that Rav Chaskel's son, a Roshiv of Hebron, was so worried about the Panovicharov's mental state when he said that statement that he sent him for a psychological analysis. That's how ridiculous it sounded that the Panovicharov said, I'm going to build the one. Okay, we know that part of the story. But what else is said about the Panovicharov was, had he not had... Had he not gone around the world collecting money and to lead his yeshiva, to build his yeshiva, he would have been one of the greatest ge'oinim in Torah in our generation. That means he gave of himself. He didn't just give of himself in terms of time, of energy, of koyach, of vision. He gave of his own spiritual growth, so to speak, for the sake of the rabbi, for the sake of the public. In that time, he obviously determined that to build Torah was of a bigger priority than anything else, and he went and did that. That, to me, fits into this category. Someone who's mafkir atzmai avuram, he's literally giving of himself for everybody. Says the Meshachachma, Noach clearly had chosen a route for himself, which, on balance, looked like it was the right route. He was misboided la'atzmai. He took himself out of this world. This is a crazy world. Everyone's running around being immoral and stealing and whatever else. I want nothing to do with anyone. I'm sticking, sticking to my own little daladamas and my own little room, wherever it was, and he's doing his own thing. Fine. That, that's a very good route to choose. But he missed an opportunity. Says the Meshachachma, because lo yichiach es He should have realized, he should have recognized that even if my route in Avedis Hashem demands of me to be a bit more by myself, to be cut off from everybody else, even if that's where a person goes, that's what works for him. But you've also got to face reality. You've got to turn around and say, okay, what's going on in my generation today? What's happening that I need to react to? And <clears throat> there's countless of stories in the aforementioned Gedolim, Chaznesh, Chaim Kriyaski as well. When it came to a time when Klalisol needed them, <laughs> they were absolutely there. They stepped forward. They took responsibility. They took Akhraz. And that's the trick, says the Meshach Achman. I had to go through this Meshach Achman a number of times because it's not absolutely clear, but I did check with other people as well. And it seems to be this is what he's saying, that the criticism of Noach was, yes, he had his chosen Avedis Hashem path, but he missed an opportunity to take Akhraz when the time arose. Whereas you compare that to Moshe Rabbeinu as an example, we mentioned before the Medrash that said Moshe Rabbeinu was more chaviv than Noach. Moshe Rabbeinu was Mr. Akhraz. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was. He completely gave himself to the rap from the very beginning, gave himself for the public, and that's where his greatness came from. So, to add to what we've been saying, it would seem that Noach wasn't just a little bit, again, with respect and humility, he wasn't just a little bit lacking in areas. As I say, mam in any mam, and these aren't my words, these are words of Mepharashim, right? He also seemingly missed an opportunity to really rise in greatness by taking responsibility for his generation. There's a Zoya. Now, I've looked for the Zoya and I cannot find it. I don't know if it's a Chochma, so um, I'm not accustomed to learning the Zoya. But it's a Zoya Nashmotus. I heard it from a, a parish I was listening to. And um, the Zoya says that after the Mabel, Noyach comes out of a Teva and he goes, Hashem, what, what have you done to your world? And, and the way he puts it is, you're, you're compassionate. Hashem, you're compassionate. What's happened to your world? And Hashem responds to Noach and says, you're a foolish shepherd. Those are the words of the Zoya. You're a foolish shepherd. Now you say? Now you're worried what's happened to the world? Where were you before? Where were you in the 120 years you were building the Teva? Why didn't you do something about it then? Right? And the Zoya says, and Noach says, that I figured the way the Rebbein came to me and said, I can't save anyone else, I can only save you, 
So I, I figured the rest of the world is lost. It's just like kind of a bit too bad. So I went along with the plan. It's not a terrible answer, but it's not an answer Avram Avinu would have given. Avram Avinu davened for Sodom long after it was, a, it was established that Sodom was going to be, going to be uh, um, destroyed. Because there, as it was explained, there you see again this idea that how far would does a person push themselves to go for the responsibility of those around them? How much more can you do as an individual? You have your own corner, I understand. You, you have an idea somewhat that maybe people around you could improve. But you sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, what can I do? Everyone knows what they do. Well, what can I do? That's okay. But then you miss out on greatness that way. My father recently told me about Rukham Shulevitz. Rukham Shulevitz was a Shiva of Mir, famously. He was a Shiva of Mir for 40 years. And when Yeshiva of Mir went through their miraculous journey from Europe till eventually Eretz Yisrael, but throughout the Second World War, they helped him out, and they were subject to a huge number of Nisim, huge number of miracles that happened to get them through whatever they got through. And part of the leadership that was required at the time was very, very um, practical and very much um, a game of, uh, you know, um, d- d- um, diplomacy. You know, trying to win over officials and getting the right documents signed, paying bribery, bribery. you know, dealing with money, all sorts. There was all sorts of stuff going on. In fact, there was currencies that had to be used, which were illegal to be used at the time, and you could have been arrested for it. It was a very complicated, practical mission that was re- that, that required that, that sort of leadership. Rebchayim Shmulevitz, who was Rosh Hashiva of Meir, was a type of person that did not know the difference between one coin and another coin. That's the level of um, uh, 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 the level of how much he was engrossed in his learning. He did not know the difference between the coins. That's what the Talmudim, it was clearly, clearly known about him. And he was the one who took leadership throughout this, throughout this period of time with Yeshiva of Mir, not just leading them spiritually, but leading them practically. He led, he spearheaded the efforts. He was in there speaking to the consul. He was t- talking, dealing with the passports. He was the visas. He was doing everything. So a Talmud, late on in life, came to ask Rukhaim Shulevitz, how is it that you managed to pull this off? You're not someone who practically seems to have the skill set to do this. And reportedly, Rukhaim, um, the, the story goes actually that the, the it, goes, it goes even better than that because when at one point when he was dealing with this, um, my father was saying this over from a safer that he had seen, but he wasn't entirely sure at which point this was, but at one point in, in the... the the, the difficulties when they were busy trying to negotiate their, their, their freedom and negotiate their route. Um, it, it was a very, very um, risky endeavor. And Ruchaim, before he went into the office, he davened Hashem, he davened for three things. But we only, we, we only know two of them. Well, one of them was he davened Hashem that obviously he should succeed, but that after the war, after this whole thing's over, he should never have this type of responsibility ever again. That means he recognized that he was doing something which he had to do and it was unnatural for him, but he never actually wanted to do it. So when I come after the war and I come back, carry on with the yeshiva's me, I don't want anything to do with it, and that's apparently what happened. Other people took the reins of the yeshiva in terms of financials, etc., once the, once the yeshiva settled in, in Israel. The second thing he done for was for his, his, his daughters to be able to marry, but or whatever it was, it was, a, it was a moment of thriller for him where you could see where his heart really lagged. That, that's where he really wanted to be. 
So his Talmud said to him, how come you, how come you took the leadership in over here? He said one, one word, simple. Achrayas, responsibility. He was in a situation where he had, in, um, in, in, under his responsibility, all these Tamida Yeshiva. Who else was going to do it? So he didn't really have the skill set, didn't really have the knowledge, didn't really want to. He would prefer to sit in learning, but he stepped forward and took the Achrayas. In fact, I read that he, he didn't just take a Achrayas for me, he took a Achrayas for Kamenitz, for Kleks, for Lubavitch, and Lublin. Different Yeshivas that were then in Shanghai at the same time. He took a Achrayas for them. But that's an example, again, of someone who, 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 whose own preferred option, preferred route in Avodah Hashem, preferred service of Hashem may have been, you know, keep himself to himself. But because of the needs of those around him, he rose and took, and took what had to, did what had to be done. So in conclusion of what we've been discussing over here, We've established that Noach is described in the Pesach as a tzaddik, and that is, is, is rightfully so. Noach was a tzaddik. Why was he a tzaddik? Because he stayed spiritually strong. He didn't resort to stealing. He didn't become immoral. And ultimately, we, use, we should use the word tzaddik in describing a person in, the, in those terms. That's absolutely fine. A tzaddik does not mean someone who's perfect. And therefore, the fact that Noach needed help, the fact that Noach wasn't a t- complete mammon at all times, that's okay. It doesn't take away from the tzidkas. And what's more, I want to add, the fact that Noach made mistakes, and he might have become at one point Isha Adama, and he got the priorities a bit wrong, and mistakes can be made. But it doesn't take away, give credit where credit's due. And I think that this leads me, therefore, to the two takeaways I want to uh, end with. You know, it's very easy in life for the Yitzhara to tell us it's an all-or-nothing game. It's a zero-sum game. If I'm anyway not going to be able to keep up this new whatever it is that I've taken on, so then what's the point of even starting? Or, you know, it can happen with Dafayomi or whatever, any other commitment a person has, where they do, and they do it for a while, and then it gets a bit of a dip, it has a bit of whatever it is, a bit of imperfection, whatever it might be. Um, and they thought, shrug their shoulders, well, what's the point, right? And what I feel, the first lesson that we can draw from Noach, and it's absolutely true, is that you can be called a tzaddik, even if you're imperfect. Never underestimate the value of being partially good, of being someone who actually does some good things and give credit to yourself for whatever it might have been that you've managed to achieve, even if it wasn't perfect. doesn't matter. Terror is not after perfection. Noach was a tzaddik. It's incredible that Noach is the one who's called a tzaddik and he's the one who the Torah almost spells out imperfections. I think that's the first. And the second point is, uh, in, the, in the words of, of the Gemara of the Zara, Rebbe says, there is opportunities for greatness. Some people, they can take years and years till they reach a point where they're considered great or they have a spiritual impact on other people. There are sometimes opportunities that come to us that if we grab them, they can literally elevate us straight up. Noyach had an opportunity and unfortunately he missed that opportunity. He had the opportunity to impact his gener- on his generation. Other Gedolim throughout the times have taken such opportunities, as we've mentioned some of them today. And our job is to recognize opportunities that come our way and to, to make use of them. Noyach was a big From his till his Noyach was a big Every it's a big Every it's a big From his capital to his piece of love Every it's